0: Welcome to Living Water Radio. How do you get through when your life breaks up into a thousand little pieces? Today, an Old Testament prophet is going to show us how. My name is Pastor David Burkettall. My wife, Rev. Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a Christian Church Disciples of Christ, United Church of Christ ordained minister, focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the more than 100 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Between the two of us, we have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. We had some wind last week. The TV weather reporters said that we had gusts at around 60 to 70 miles an hour. I went outside Saturday morning and saw thousands of pieces of foliage scattered in our yard and around our home. Our son James came over to help me clean it up. We removed large chunks of our yucca tree from our roof. I wonder what Nehemiah, the biblical prophet, thought when he returned to Jerusalem and saw the city walls in a thousand, thousand little pieces. I preached at Trinity Lutheran Church in Hawthorne yesterday. When Pastor Bergeson asked me to preach on Nehemiah as part of a series, I wondered, why does he want me to preach about Nehemiah? I mean, do I look like the prophet Nehemiah? Well, okay, maybe I do. But no one knows what Nehemiah looked like, except that he was the shortest man in the Bible. You know, Nehemiah. Okay, that's pretty bad. Someone told me once that I looked like the prophet Zechariah. How did he know what the prophet Zechariah looked like? We did a video a few months ago on what Jesus looked like. We don't know, except he probably looked like everyone else. That was what Isaiah's prophecy said. His clothes were probably a little substandard. Black hair, brown eyes, olive skinned, darkened by the sun, thin muscular beard, about five feet five inches tall. That's kind of a mind blower, isn't it? We think of Jesus as being larger than life, but he probably looked like everyone else. And he probably cut his hair with a knife. That's the way men did it then. Or did one of the disciples cut everyone's hair? Maybe. Probably not Jesus' hair probably looked like the result when one of your older children plays barber with a younger one. I saw a CSI type of reconstruction of a man's face based on a first century skull found in Israel a few years ago. That's pretty much what it looked like. Nehemiah probably looked a little more put together. He had an important job. He was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes I. The king of Persia, which meant that he was a close advisor and confidant to the king and got paid. Did the Persians have barbershops? Maybe. Did they charge Nehemiah more because he was a Jew or less because he worked for the king? In any case, he probably looked good until he didn't. His standard of living had taken a serious hit, and yet he could say to the people of God, The joy of the Lord is our strength. To see how that happened, let's put Nehemiah into his historical context. Let's go back about 600 years to King David. King David died around a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ. King David was the ideal king and an imperfect man. He led Israel to its greatest size and influence in its history. He was a poet. He wrote most of the Psalms and he loved God. The next king was David's son Solomon. He was wise, but not very smart. He was a disappointment. The next king was Solomon's son Rehoboam, and he was a disaster. The nation rebelled against him and split into two kingdoms. After many warnings from the prophets about the people's behavior and their lack of interest in keeping their covenant with God, The Assyrians came in 722 BC and wiped out the northern ten-tribe kingdom of Israel and assimilated them. Then, in 586 BC, the Babylonians displaced the Assyrians and took the remaining two-tribe kingdom of Judah into captivity in Babylon for 50 years. Then the Persians came and wiped out the Assyrians and let those who wanted to, to go back to Jerusalem. Not all of them did they had been there for more than two generations. Nehemiah had been born in Babylon and now worked in a high-ranking job for the king Artaxerxes I of Persia as his cupbearer, until he didn't. He had heard about the walls of Jerusalem being broken into a thousand little pieces, and he asked the king if he could go back and rebuild them. The king agreed and made him governor. As governor, he fought a constant rearguard battle. The surrounding nations all wanted Jerusalem to stay gone. Nehemiah had to keep half his men on guard duty, as the other half worked on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The workers often had to build with one hand and keep a sword in the other. But they finished the job in 52 weeks. And when they finished, Nehemiah declared that the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, should be read aloud to all the people. Then this happened in Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when they heard the Torah read, they wept, because they knew that they had not been keeping the law that God had commanded. But Nehemiah spoke again, and, with the religious leaders of the people told them not to weep but to have a feast and to share with everyone who could not put a feast together because it was a holy day and he said do not be grieved for the joy of the lord is your strength and revival came to jerusalem the people of god had lost their city and their country but they had not lost their identity nehemiah reminded them of that he didn't say Don't worry, be happy. He said, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Our identity hasn't been lost. It's been broken into a thousand little pieces, like the branches of the pine and yucca trees and like the walls of Jerusalem. We're still finding our way through a global coronavirus pandemic and its most recent variant, the very contagious Omicron variant. We've lost friends and family to COVID-19. We've lost time, we've lost education, we've lost work, we've lost experience, healthcare, and we've lost jobs and a sense of material security. We've lost a sense of connection to other people, and sometimes we fear them. We're out of practice in reading body language, interpreting facial expressions without masks, and the many conscious and particularly unconscious signs that tell us how to understand our community, who we can trust, who will be our friends, and where we belong, how to travel, and how to shop. The world seems to have devolved into even smaller cliques than we remember. Groups who shared our values seem to have gotten smaller, and our national dialogue seems to have become even more adversarial. But we have also gained, We've gained new skills and new friends. We've gained new hobbies and developed our old ones. We've rediscovered family and friends through Zoom and other apps. We've gained a new tool to share our faith with digital media. We've gained new ways to work collaboratively. We've met our neighbors and learned how to live with them. We've gained insight into ourselves and what we really want to do with our lives. We've gained time and gas money by not commuting. Oh, and some of us have gained some weight. But are we happy? Maybe. But I think that happiness is overrated. Selfishness can make us happy. In our culture, it's almost a virtue. Joy, however, is something different. Joy is a baseline condition for Christians that nothing can take away from us. We can be happy and feel joy. We can be unhappy and feel joy. We can be worried or secure, in despair or on top of the world, and still know that deep down there is a baseline of joy within us. It's there because it is the love of God that God gives, and nothing can take it away. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God doesn't promise us happiness, God promises us joy the abiding presence of God, revealed to us in the Holy Spirit. Pastor Rick Warren once advised that we should not ask God to bless what we are doing, but rather to do what God is blessing. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You sometimes hear people say, I just want my children to be happy. But I think that is too low a bar. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. People can be immoral, self-indulgent, self-righteous, bigoted, etc., and still be happy. Doing good can make us happy, but is that enough? One of my college philosophy professors observed that most of the world's evil, and probably all of its very worst evil, is done by people who sincerely believe that they are doing good. Christians, however, are defined by something outside of ourselves. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us through the Bible. We encounter it in the Bible. We know it when we are serving others in response to and in the name of God, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. One day, when I was a teenager, I thought about the people who I really admired, and I realized that they all had something in common. They had experienced things in life. They had experienced hardships and sorrow. Their relationship with God, their faith, had carried them through it all and defined them. They had a kind of radiant, luminous faith. Do you know why? The joy of the Lord was their strength. And I decided that that's what I wanted. And I prayed that I would experience the suffering in my life that would produce such a faith. Until I found out what that suffering was, and then I stopped praying for that. We cannot escape challenges and hardship in our lives, but we can choose whether we are going to let them define us. Let God's love define you. Open your heart to receive the gifts of God and the Holy Spirit, to open your eyes to see the love of God. When people around you are threatening you as you rebuild the walls of God's reign around you, the city of God and your identity in the love of God and Jesus Christ? Be different. Go the other way, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. I saw a meme several years ago that showed an old-timey black-and-white photograph of a farm couple. They looked like they had been together a long time and had experienced some things. The guy had a long white beard, and the caption said, Love is like a beard. If you let it grow— it becomes the first thing people notice about you. Live as people who have been made a new creation in faith and in baptism. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Today, let's remember to pray for all those who have yet to get the vaccines and the booster, because they are most at risk to themselves and to others. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer sometime today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to either of the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. When you have a church, go to or tune into the worship service they have available and support your church financially so that it will be fully functioning as we move now out of the variants and back into the new normal. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. They're trying to find their footing. They're trying to keep everybody happy. You know how impossible that is. Support them. Pray for them. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody, contact a friend or a relative, Google a local national hotline, talk with a professional, reach out. You are not alone. There are people around you who will walk with you through this dark time and into the light. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly, get your vaccine. It's the one thing you can do to keep lowering the curve and to literally save lives. Do it for the sake of others. Avoid crowds if you can, and be outside if you have to be in a crowd be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. We all struggle in some way. Be a helper and an encourager. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.